Under the Dome Radio, a full discussion for Season 2, Episode 5, entitled Reconciliation, recorded August 1st, 2014. Thanks for joining us Under the Dome in Chester's Mill on Under the Dome Radio, the unofficial podcast and blog by and for fans of Under the Dome on CBS TV. It's episode 33. We've got show notes and links over at underthedomeradio.com slash 33. And we highly encourage you to share your voice, leave your thoughts and theories, any kind of feedback you got, go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network and sponsored by our affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com. And just the other day, it was announced that Under the Dome Season 2 on Blu-ray and DVD can be pre-ordered. So we've added that to the show notes. If nothing else, go to underthedomeradio.com and look at the tentative cover art for the season two Blu-ray disc set of Under the Dome. It looks fantastic in my opinion, and I'm glad to be with you. I'm at Wayne Henderson, your voice acting, podcasting Green Bay Packers fan. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, your fire starting, bomb loading. No, I'm actually not any of those things, but I do check my generators before I plug them in. Glad to be with you as we're going to have a lot of information in this episode as we go with our breaking news segment, Dome-related news, including our ratings from this past week, as then we go on the air talking about what we found interesting about the most recent episode entitled Reconciliation, and then of course on location where we talk to all of you guys, the fans, the Domies who make all this happen, and then our investigative reports where we go ahead and kind of get you in the know about what might be in the tunnel and see if it ties into the book in any way, shape or form. And then of course our requests and dedication section where we get with all of you and say, thanks for helping us get the word out here in Chester's mill about the situation. That's right. I would call it a situation, but let's go ahead and dig right into the breaking news. Troy, what is the latest on the ratings for under the dome here in the United States? Well, right now the ratings are holding steady and that's pretty decent considering that it was up against the bachelorette's, after the rose ceremony. So most people were in watching the bachelorette at the seven or eight o'clock hour central time since I'm here in Chicago and then stick around for the after show special. So the fact that we didn't lose anybody to that special event this week from last week's ratings is a good sign, but we'll have to keep a watch on it because things are getting dicey as we hit these series lows here in the second season. I think they're just about to ramp up and there was good, bad and ugly in this week's episode. So let's go on the air and starting right off the bat with their previously on Under the Dome. I think this was either a flashback or part of uh, Melanie's dream state. But we see that two people are the ones that come up behind Melanie before the push. So I'm wondering if maybe Sam and Lyle both had a hand, so to speak, in shoving Melanie into the pit where she hit her head and died. Ah, uh, you're funny. Had a hand. That's good. Uh, there's a lot of hand business on this show. <laughs> well, yeah, I saw the same thing. I saw two people come up behind her. And then, of course, we saw two hands push her in the uh, kind of flashback sequence last week. So now I'm thinking they both pushed her because they had flashlights in their other hands, as we mentioned in the last episode. And so maybe both of them pushed her into the hole to kill her. That adds a whole new twist on how I've been thinking about crazy Lyle Chumley. I guess we have to wait till next week's episode to find out a little bit more, but that is something to keep an eye on for sure. 
Now, I thought it was really great, though, how they kind of harken back to Lost in this episode, at least with the opening shot and the closing shot. Because if you didn't notice, when she woke up from the dream, they focused in on her one eye, very similar to Lost. And then, of course, they had the downward panning camera as we go into the tunnel under the locker. So there's under the dome, under the mini dome, and now under the locker. That Things are getting deep. But I did think it was kind of creepy before the hatchling, Melanie, opened her eye the way Joe and Nori were just watching her sleep. I, I assume they weren't there all night. They probably came over at sunrise, but still a little odd. I thought it was even odder in the choice of words the writers gave for Joe, because considering their love triangle later on in this episode, as he's standing there, he says, well, we heard you moaning. I, I thought they could have used some different words like, you know, you were you know talking in your sleep or shouting in your sleep. But why choose the word moaning? when you know that they're going to have a kind of love tryst later on in the episode. Yeah. Or even just simple mumbling. I don't know. That one was a little bit odd, but the fact that once she does wake up, Melanie's starting to piece things together. And this is the first and the last, at least for now, where she talks about wanting to go talk to Sam Boudreaux, because obviously she now remembers him as being her boyfriend, even though he's much older now, but we don't get any payoff on that later in this episode. Really? Do we? No. And she said it very nonchalantly. Like, why would you want to go talk to the guy who you think pushed you into a hole and killed you? That's the last person I'd want to go talk to. Yeah, that, that should have been a major plot point. Like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, well, maybe next week. Well, then Sam actually finds out that his cabin has been ransacked. And of course, he first checks to make sure that his stuff is safe before he finds that if the ransacker is still in the cabin, <laughs> I would always check for the robber first, personally. But then he finds Junior going through his stuff and kind of like nonchalantly he's like also like, ah, it's okay if you're tearing up my place. No big deal. <laughs> I thought that was a little strange. Not knowing at first that Lyle was also part of this, but has now gone running off into the jungle. No, wait, that was on Lost. Running off into the forest and presumably uh, going to his favorite locker. Well, and Sam also says that Lyle was always a little nuts. Is that in general speaking, or is that because the dome made him nuts after this meteor egg landed in Chester's mill? I think that's an excellent point, Troy. I think that the dome has really affected a lot of things in addition to everything going on with the meteorite asteroid, whatever it was, and the pink stars and the egg glowing and then Melanie dying. I have a feeling Lyle was probably fairly normal up until that exact moment when Melanie was pushed into the hole. Sam also feeds Junior a line that I thought was quite interesting. He says that Junior needed protecting when he was a kid, but Sam didn't because he was older and that he had lost faith in Pauline when she started talking about this dome thing. And so does he actually feel remorse at this point for what happened to his sister? Or is he just feeding Junior a line to get Junior to be on his side? I could go either way on that one. And listeners, I want to know how you feel. Again, give us a call at 904-469-7469 and be part of the next episode. My initial thought is that Sam is already at this point planting the seeds with uh, James, don't call me Junior anymore, Rennie, trying to let him know that, look, I'm here to help you. I'm Uncle Sam, the patriotic one. Lyle's crazy. He must have done it. And just trying to deflect everything off of himself. Well, later on, they're actually back in the Sweetbriar, I guess, and Julia is confronting Rebecca, 
as she's washing the blood off of her hands. Did you notice that either Rebecca's really big into conserving the water or there might actually be a water problem because she couldn't get the blood off and there was little water coming out of that faucet? I did not notice that scene happening at all. Prop error, maybe. (laughs) Could be. Maybe the faucet was one of those like old ones you find at the park where you, you turn it on and it had some leftover water from the summer, but they shut off the water in the winter when it became October or so. <laughs> exactly. Because the book does take place in October. Who knows when this is now, but uh, yeah, I could see that happening. The big question that didn't really strike me as much on the initial viewing, but after watching it a second time, was when Melanie touches the dome and she just full on touches and holds the dome. Why no shock? Why no seizure? Does it have something to do with what happened Back in uh, 88, 89, whenever that was. Well, there's a couple of things you could think of. So maybe there's something because she already touched the mini egg that she already got her shock because it always only happens the first time. Kind of like Barbie actually didn't get shocked when he touched the dome. He got shocked when he touched the cow in the first episode. Or you could say because of the magnetism event, the shock factor doesn't actually work anymore when you touch the dome. Hmm. If that's the case. I think they're going to have to come out and actually tell us that because I, I have a feeling that more people are wondering about that. And I can tell you, when I was a kid, this theory doesn't work with 9-volt batteries because you lick the top of the 9-volt battery once and don't try this at home, kids. You get a shock, but even months later, it still does it. Public service announcement. Invest in a voltmeter, not a tongue. <laughs> exactly. You only get one of those. Right, usually. Now, Creepy Sam... He's hanging out in the barber shop with Junior, and I don't know if you could see Sam actually planting those pieces of paper under the chair. I mean, there's mirrors everywhere. Pretty obvious. I saw it. I don't know how Junior didn't see it, but I mean, and this is one of the things that I really disliked about this week's episode, because you could totally tell he's looking for a place to hide these things, right? And so he puts them under the chair, and then all he does is like spin around in a circle. He doesn't like go to another part of the of the shop and actually kind of dig around for a couple of minutes. He's like, uh, Oh, look, here they are a little weak. It, I thought it was very weak. I'm not positive. I'm trying to remember if this scene was before or after Sam got uh, junior a little drunk and tried to kill him. But in either event, it doesn't really matter whether junior was sober or not. He should have seen Sam's acting awfully strange here in Lyle's barbershop. He was just going to town and there's all those sharp objects. I would avoid it. Well, and the better question is, is that picture of Angie actually did look like her compared to some of the other paintings that we've seen from Pauline. So I thought that was nice. <laughs> but then the the dome and the four hands. Now, he was talking about some parable, I guess, that Pauline was saying is that the four hands would hold up the dome. And they were taking it from the perspective of they were there to be the protectors of the dome and keep it in place. But maybe it's really because the four hands needed to hold up literally the dome and keep it from coming down. And is that because the original four hands separated in the case of Melanie dying and that's why the dome showed up? Or is it because Pauline left town and because when she left town, that's why the dome showed up because they were supposed to keep the dome from coming? What do you think? I'm still trying to figure out because all of that happened so long ago. Why did the dome all of a sudden appear in, you know, whether it's 2013, 14, whatever? Why did it take so long to actually happen? On the other hand, 
I think it's kind of a flimsy theory that they might be going around trying to kill all of, you know, a lot of people's favorite characters in the hopes that the dome is going to come down. Maybe the holding up of the dome meant uh, holding up its arrival, like holding it back, keeping the timeline frozen, but, you know, before the dome is actually able to happen. Uh, it could go any way, but I don't think we should go around just killing people, hoping the dome's going to come down. And which four hands need to die? That's the really big question. Is it the original four hands or the new four hands? Exactly. They could go around and kill Joe and Nori and James Don't Call Me Jr. Nothing happens. So then, oh, well, then maybe we better kill Sam and Lyle <laughs> just to make sure we have everybody taken care of. And I bet the dome would still be there. What do you think about the conversation that Miss Pine has with Big Jim in jail asking about, have you ever seen anybody die before? I thought that was really dark. I mean, it's a good question, but the fact that she said it really made me think she actually is a little deeper than I originally thought. But at the same time, the way that uh, Big Jim just brushes it off, it's like, if she only knew how many people Big Jim has killed, how many do you think Big Jim has seen die? Yeah, and how many did he take out before the dome even came down as he was running his drug ring? That's a really good question as well. But I did like the line that Jim gave, which was that someone had to die in order for us to live, which really harkens back to the Alice death last season as Alice died. And then, of course, baby Alice was born so is that a theme that we're going to see as the show progresses is that there's this replacement concept. So in this case, Melanie came back and Angie had to die because there was too many people in the mill. Hmm. That's an interesting question about the whole balance of the whole thing. I'm still trying to figure out, you know, when we saw the apparition of Alice at the end of last season, when she said the dome is there to protect everybody so far, I haven't seen any protecting going on. Is that going to kick in later? Or is that a maybe a falsehood she gave out? Because I don't feel anybody is really safe or protected right now. Well, I haven't seen any more asteroids or aliens or anything coming into Chester's Mill. So maybe the protection is yet to come, maybe towards the end of this season, now that we know that there's something below the mill. I guess I'm going to have to keep watching, find out what happens. <laughs> now, Joe and Melanie don't really like Nori's of brashness we'll call it some people would use a different b word but uh you know what and this is actually a really interesting scene as well because joe actually uses the b word in referencing his girlfriend right the person that he stuck up for she he's been there for her and then he just all out says dude you're a a bitch <laughs> quite frankly right. and I thought that was a really telling characteristic of Joe because either he is completely going back crazy, especially because he wanted to kill Melanie, not just what, two, three episodes ago. Exactly. And now he's ready to throw his girlfriend under the bus. So it's almost like the writers are either forgetting what they've done or the dome is really <laughs> causing mood swings. I, I They're going to have to explain it. And, you know, a lot of people, even those outside of the dome, they don't really like hearing the truth. It really upsets people when you hear the truth. Now, of course, Nori, like you said, was a little brash about it. But really, what'd she say that was so bad? I mean, I could see it making total sense that she would do anything to have her other mom back, 
even if it meant Nori had to be dead, whatever it takes, I would choose my mom over, or not over Nori, but over Melanie any day. And sure, it was brash, but it, it seemed honest and true and made sense to me. Yeah, and I thought that was probably the most honest line in the entire episode because yes. that's sane thinking if you think about it, right? It's, this is what I want the most. Why can't I have my person back? Why did you come back? And because you came back, she can't be here. So that's exactly the same line I probably would have thrown out. Now, granted, it probably didn't have to be at that exact moment as she's feeling vulnerable and frustrated that she doesn't know who she is. But at the same time, it's it's truth. Well, I was just disappointed that this is the second week we could have seen some real fun female female brawls. I mean, I was a little disappointed last week when all Julia did was push Rebecca to the ground. I thought she was going to come out and cold cock her. And then here, I thought for sure we'd see some hair pulling, some nail digging, maybe some biting or something. I don't know. Well, I think last week, uh, Miss Pine saved the day at the exact right moment when she said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I changed my mind. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> Ratings would have gone up. I'm telling you, if there would have been a little bit more fisticuffs between the ladies. Or anybody. Well, Bill took care of that for us this week, right? Because he just was like, all right, everybody, let's settle down. Let's back up. And, you know, he seemed like he was pretty normal. And then the minute Wendell started to charge at Big Jim, that's when Phil pulls out the gun. So his loyalties are clearly with Big Jim in this episode as he's trying to protect him because he thought that Wendell was truly going to hurt him. But let's be clear. Big Jim is not president, at least not yet. <laughs> or monarch, king, prince, czar, none of those things. And I must say that uh, former DJ Phil, now sheriff and fire starter, uh, for only being on the job in a couple of weeks, he has a pretty good aim. So the big question this week is the same one that Barbie asked. Was Big Jim behind this explosion at the food drive? Because as they're talking, Big Jim says, we need to win over their hearts and minds. So the secret room of food, I picked that to be Big Jim's idea. Here's how we can win over their hearts and minds, right? We make sure that there's a secret stash of food that we control rather than Julia and that we'll just steal Julia's food to make that happen. The bigger question is the explosion. Was that a step further than what Jim had actually proposed? And that was really Phil acting on his own because he wanted to prove a point or something. I think so, because Big Jim has done a lot of devious complicated long cons in the past. I would not be surprised at all. But at the same time, I do think that Phil was a little off the deep edge and a little more than a little under the influence of alcohol. And that's a bad combination. And may he rest in peace, I suppose. If he's dead. True. I mean, most sheriffs would be wearing a bulletproof vest, you know, all day on the job. But it did look like a pretty good amount of blood was uh, coming out of his chest in that scene upon the rewatch. But he did shoot him in the top right shoulder. I mean, there's not much there other than a clavicle breaking, which kind of would hurt a lot since I've done that myself. <laughs> but I don't think that he's actually dead. I think that he shot him there on purpose to not kill him. Okay, then uh, don't don't rest in peace yet, Phil. I take it back. Or just get out of the picture for a while. <laughs> but stop doing crazy things. Don't try to kill Carolyn again. I know what was up with that. So here's, here's a couple other points that really irked me about the episode this week. And that's of course the fact that there's a fire, right? We made this big issue in season one, episode two, the fire when 
the, you know, the whole thing starts burning down and it's, it's just raging and Jim's got to get this bulldozer and knock the place down to put the fire out. Cause they don't have enough water brigades in order to do it. So if there's truly some kind of water shortage, you know, how quickly were they were able to put this fire out? <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty big explosion in a pretty big building. You would think that fire would rage on pretty good and nope, it's just kind of smoldering ashes and okay for people to walk in like hours later. Well, not to mention the the fire a couple of weeks ago when Miss Pine was burning down the uh, the fields of caterpillar larvae. It must be that secret breeze that blows inside the dome that comes from somewhere. <laughs> like the great uh, windstorm we talked about last season. Well, and then, of course, there was this Bill Bushy in that secret room. So he comes in. There. I can see why he would go into the building, right? Because he's part of this plan to blow it up and the secret room and whatnot. But why is Carolyn walking into the building? Julia said, don't go in. We want to assess the damage and find out what happened. Carolyn's the lawyer. She would be the first one to obey the rules, I would think. Hmm. Good point. So I thought it was just a convenient way to move like plot along. And I, I, I didn't like that part of the episode at all, even though the action sequence, of course, with Carolyn trying to fight Bill Bushy off was cool. And then, of course, the henchman just appearing out of nowhere and Barbie shooting him. So it does make for an exciting episode, but at the same time, a little convenient for my tastes. And how come it's the bad guys that always have henchmen? That's a really good question. I'd like some henchmen. (laughs) Just, you know, some peeps, a posse, whatever you want to call it. Theme song as you're walking down the street. Exactly. Doing your bidding, helping out, uh, just not hurting anybody. We don't want that kind of thing. One of my favorite scenes upon the rewatch that I can't believe I glossed over the first time was the fact that on the the back of that, uh, I think it was on the back of the painting when when uh, Sam threw the glass at the wall, that horrible, ugly painting fell down. And then on the back, we see the uh, obelisk again. And just in case we didn't know what it was, James, don't call me junior. It's the obelisk. Well, and I thought it was great that James actually used the word obelisk because I think I, I used it first when we were talking about it after the uh, season premiere. And so the fact that he actually referred to it as an obelisk, I think I score points for that one, even though I think it was shot before the podcast came out. I think so, too, just because you're on the same wavelength, you definitely get props for that, because I don't know how many people will come up with a word as semi-obscure as obelisk. Right. Tower, pyramid, central monument or something. Yeah. (laughs) Obelisk is a little strange, but that's the first word I thought of. Unless we all watched uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey recently and we're, we have obelisk on the mind. Ooh, that's an interesting theory. We'll have to hold that one for a minute. I want to think on that for a minute. So let's talk about Andrea Grinnell. I thought this was really great that we all kind of joked about her being the crazy hoarder lady back in season one. And here the hoarder concept actually pays off to be true. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we did the interview with uh, actress Dale Raul, who plays Andrea Grinnell, and she kind of gave us a hint, even back last season when we interviewed her on the podcast, that, uh, oh, the things inside my home are even more frightening and disturbing. And in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, she talks about her husband, Lloyd, and we talked about this on the initial reactions episode. I watched it again and I had the same thoughts. I was like, did Lloyd know the dome was coming or did he know something was coming? Maybe if he didn't know the dome was coming, maybe he knew this outside force that was going to be, you know, attacking Chester's mill and why the dome is there to protect them. Maybe he knew about that side of the equation. And maybe just maybe he's not even really dead. Maybe he is wherever junior's mom is. 
and I don't know if you picked this up, but Julia said this, or I think it was actually Andrew Gunnell that said, you know, we could feed the town for months. It was very quiet. So if we figure, you know, one episode per day kind of go out, I think we'll be fine until at least season five now, because we have plenty of food unless somebody of course burns it down. Right. If there's more fires and explosions or terrorists or thievery, I did catch that point. And the fact that, uh, you know, Miss Pine was about ready to kill off at least a third or a half of Chester's mill because the food was going to run out so quick. Mathematics uh, say that, uh, like you said, season five or I'm kind of hoping this the show moves on past a day being each episode more or less. So let's move over to the Thanksgiving feast and let's talk a little bit. Joe and Nori. Now, first things first, they were sitting at the table and there was the four of them. It was Joe. Melanie, Carolyn, Nori. So clearly they were not happy with each other based on their seating arrangements. Otherwise, Joe and Nori would be sitting next to each other. You watch that a little too close. (laughs) Right, exactly. And then he sees kind of Barbie and Julia making up and he's like, ooh, if they can make up, I can make up with my girlfriend. I thought that was a little bit lame on the writer's part this week because it's just a little too soon after you call your girlfriend the B word. It's it's a little rough. I thought that particular uh, moment was beyond lame. So beyond lame that I didn't even bring it up very much in the initial reactions. My favorite part of that scene was the fact that everybody's all happy. We've got all this food and they're just chowing down and having a great time there at the Sweetbriar Rose, even though we still miss the original owner. But uh, they're moving on and having a great time. But uh, <laughs> like you said, Joe figures he's going to go make up with Nori and well, Nori's not buying into it as easily as Julia Shumway. Well, and the better thing about it is that Nori's still the one, I think that's the most level headed because her response is more of a real response. She's saying, you know, you just macked on a girl and that's the best you can do. You know, go, go try it on her, get out of my face. And I, I think that's at least realistic. So good props to keep, you know, Mackenzie Lentz's character grounded as they go ahead and progress with her storyline. And although I doubt they're going to go there, I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that she is technically an outsider, her as well as Carolyn being from California. They're nowhere near Chester's mill. Perhaps the people that have been in Chester's mill since the original 88 incident and thereafter, maybe being there so long has just kind of messed up their thinking. I kind of doubt they're going to go there, but I'm just, looking for any explanation why Nori, of course, Carolyn wasn't that clear thinking when she goes into that building to look at the food. But like you said, Nori's the most level-headed right now. And hold on to that concept of outsider. We're going to talk about that in our investigative reporting coming up in just a little bit. And then the end of the episode, they're going to go check out the blood. She puts Melanie on the right, Joe on the left. And of course she starts to look at Joe convenient that she didn't look at Melanie first. So we don't get any answers there. But then, of course, here's the locker being dug into. And we have to ask ourselves, was the inside of the locker really metal? Was it a illusion or a hologram? Was it just cloth that was made to look like the back of a locker? Because nobody ever reached in when Barbie and Melanie and all those guys were kind of digging in there. So Angie's the only one that may have seen the tunnel prior to, of course, Rebecca Pine, Sam and Junior seeing it. The big question is now, who do they go tell? 
I think it'd be a good idea to maybe tell Julia Shumway. She's a reporter. But uh, yeah, the whole timeline of when was there a back in the back of the locker? When was there not? Obviously, before she died, Angie, I mean, the look on her face looked even more shocking than if you opened up your locker and saw an underground cave that gives you the urge to go spelunking. But we'll go with that, that she was so shocked to see a cave tunnel in her locker. But on the other hand, then later on, when the other people open up the locker and it does have a back, I think somehow, whether it was Lyle or whoever, put the metal backing into the locker. And I think they use the phrase that, uh, or maybe I'm just imagining it, that uh, you know they had to kick it in or break it in you know, to break out the back of the locker. And now everybody knows there's that uh, cave. How deep does it go? Where does it go? Does it just go maybe a little bit outside of wherever the dome reaches and they'll be in fresh air? Or does it go all the way to Zenith? Or because this is Stephen King, is it a central nexus point with the obelisk? Think of the obelisk as maybe the dark tower. And maybe if there's like a giant pit in the middle or something, it's like a teleportation device where you jump down the rabbit hole and the rabbit hole takes you to Wonderland. That would be awesome. I guess we'll find out next time under the locker <laughs> hashtag under the locker. You know, it's the old escape from high school through the hidden passageway behind my locker trick. I don't know how long that's been there or how come the high school custodians haven't discovered that and fixed it up. I, I don't know. It's pretty exciting stuff because now truly under the dome can go anywhere. Well, overall, the writing was a little off this week. The editing was a little off this week. It wasn't the greatest episode in the world, except for, of course, the reveal at the end. So I'm just going to give it a flat five out of 10 rabbit holes to Wonderland. Five out of 10. Hmm. So I thought I was being ungenerous, but I guess I'm being generous when I give it seven out of 10. Wait, hold on. Don't schedule that funeral for former on-air DJ Phil Bushy just yet. Yeah, and we've been pretty high on the season so far, giving out a couple nines and even a 10 for the premiere. So, yeah, this one just wasn't up to par, I don't think. I think there was a lot of plot points. I mean, Julia even cried in this episode. You know, she's supposed to be the strong one and, you know, taking care of everybody. So I think because of that, it was a little bit challenging this week for me. Oh, I'm going to agree. I mean, just like with episode two, which was quite a downer after the awesome premiere of the season. They followed right up with an epic episode. So it might just be one of those dips and next week's going to be fantastic. Let's find out what the listeners thought this week and head on over to the on location segment with our first caller at 904-469-7469. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling to Under the Dome Radio for Under the Dome Season 2, Episode 5, Reconciliation. Uh, Sam has some Pauline's pings hidden, one of Angie and one of Four Hands. He connects those two together, and a uh, thing that Pauline says, four hands will protect the dome, and without them it will fall, led him to kill Angie in the hope of getting rid of the dome. Of course, the question is, what is the meaning of fall? Is it that the dome will disappear, or will people inside the dome die? Do they need the four hands to protect the people inside the dome? Junior believes perhaps all four hands need to die for the dome to go away. And he actually tells him the three remaining hands. 
they also discover a painting on the back of another painting. And this painting is the Zenith Obelisk and the number 1821, which is the locker number. So the question is, does the locker lead to Zenith? It appears that 1821 was on the last page of the journal, so it seems that that source of prophecy will be running out as well, even if they retrieve it. If the locker leads to the Swan Station, that would be a big surprise. We know that the internet connection was coming from the tunnel. How did that work? Melanie touches the dome and nothing happens, perhaps because of what she is, that she's not quite normal compared to Joe and Nori, who got some reaction from the dome. Another big question here is whether Phil's actions were done this episode because he's going crazy, or did Big Jim suggest hiding the food and making it look like Julia messed up with the generators? So was it all Phil's actions, or was he just trying to help Big Jim? Uh, the Hounds at Diana site has a new video of Joe Nori and Melanie, the last grilled cheese sandwich in Chester's Mill. Uh, we don't learn much from that except we see more tension between Joe and Nori. Is that relationship gone now? We'll see you next time under the dome. Neil, thank you yet again for awesome feedback and being such a great supporter of the program. And he brought up a great point. I've already totally forgotten about the Hounds website and little bonus uh I guess sandwiches we can find there. Yeah. The b stuff that they're doing is really the same Joe and Nori blog. That was part of season one. It's just that now they're doing it on the hounds of Diana website. And if you listen to any of the comic con information, this is basically going to be what will soon become the digital character that they promised as a character in the upcoming episodes where again, eventually we're supposed to be able to meet this digital character in person. Now, whether that's inside the dome or if that's outside the dome, that we'll have to wait and see. Hmm. I guess we'll wait and see. Am I a digital character? I'm not even sure if I am or not. We live in this online content creation world. So I guess we're all digital in some way. Awesome. Well, we had some comments on the website from our good buddy, the sun. Julie and Barbie talk about the overall survival and care of the people in Chester's mill, which is the same conversation that of course, Jim and Rebecca are having now Jim and Julia seem to be on the same page. The question is how long will that happen? Because the one thing I know about Jim and Julia is that they are bipolar. <laughs> That's an understatement. I mean, Julia switches around and flip-flops about just as much as Big Jim does, especially when it comes to who she trusts and how she feels about certain people. So the two of them working together, I think will be very interesting dynamic, especially if Barbie ends up going back to the locker because you know he's going to be going down in the hole for sure. Yeah, he's going to be leading the charge. And of course, the big question is, now that Barbie and Julia are kind of back together, are they going to start singing Our House again? Oh, that's a very good one there. I don't know if it's a very fine house, but it is their house. And it is kind of in the middle of the street. It's in the middle of the dome, that's for sure, because it's still standing. Because a lot of people keep going like, why are these houses still up? If you remember, it was only Joe's house that got taken down because it was next to the dome where the magnetism was the strongest. So that's why the rest of these houses are able to stand up and still be there. Right. And Joe was nearly crucified with uh, nails flying all over the place, I, I would move. But now that his house is gone, he has moved. He also continues and says, what about Lyle? You know, because 
did Lyle fall down this hole? Is he hurt? Are we going to find Dwight Yoakam down there? And if we don't find him down there, then that's the big question of where did Lyle go? You know, did he go in this portal rabbit hole, whatever happens with the obelisk? That's a really good question. But, uh, you know, the son thinks he's just a cannibal. Oh, that would be bizarre. I'm going to say that the tunnel may have a little offshoot and off ramp that goes to Nashville. Lyle's got gigs to do. That's under true. His pseudonym. Got to run back and forth. Now he says that Joe, Nori and Melanie are now the ridiculous love triangle. What are they going to be up to as a threesome? Ha ha ha. Young love these days. Seriously. They're obviously trying to figure out who Melanie is and why the heck she brought them back from the dead. And I don't know. I still keep coming back to the, is she really dead or was she really resurrected? Did she actually die when she hit her head? She could have just been unconscious and they didn't realize that because they never showed her checking on her or if she was actually passed away. So we don't know if she was buried there, if she was buried in the lake or if she just kind of vaporized and disappeared because the egg energy sucked her up. Exactly. The, the entities that are behind dome, Maybe the instant before she died, they transferred her consciousness, held on to it until Julia, for whatever reason, put the egg in the lake and they decided that's a good time to have her bubble back up. But uh, you're right. Maybe she never was truly officially in our earthly terms dead. And lastly, the son says, I wish they would actually have John Locke on the show to remind everybody that fate is what brought them all together. We're not the only people under this dome and we all know it. <laughs> oh, that was channeled very well. Well, in even though on Lost, John Locke had a lot of speeches, you know, there's always Big Jim because he likes to remind people all the time. We're all in this together. And everything I've done, I've done for this town. And they invest in Bick or Gillette shavers because they have great bald heads, the both of them. Wow, Troy. <laughs> Well, Drew Smeltzer posted in our Under the Dome room over on the Beamly app. You can go to underthedomeradio.com slash Beamly and join the conversation. But uh, what if Melanie Cross was actually brought into the dome to take Angie's place as the fourth hand? It would make sense since Melanie was the reason why Angie died. And now there's a spot for Melanie to take her place. Hmm. I don't know what to think of that just yet. I like it. And of course, there was this observation that was pointed out, but that in the original sequence of the four hands, there was a brother, sister and two couples and an outsider because Melanie had just moved to Chester's Mill. So now we have the new four hands, which were a brother and sister, two couples, and one of them was an outsider who just happened to be trapped in Chester's Mill. Wow. I don't know how anybody came up with that, but that's interesting. I don't know if they came up with it. It's truth. I mean, take a look at it. It's, you know, Angie and Joe are the brother, sister, and then Angie and James granted, not a great couple, but were a couple. And then Joe and Nori, I guess were a couple at the point they found the mini dome because it already had seizures and were macking on each other against the dome. Oh my. Oh my. You could say that there was the two couples. And then of course, Nori was the outsider, just like Melanie was. And then of course you have Sam and Pauline were the brother, sister, and then the two couples. Okay, it kind of makes sense. From my point of view, I hope that's not how it's going to be explained because that's a bit of a far-fetched way to go around 
um, summoning and making eggs and pink stars and domes come and go that you have to have two couples, one of them being siblings and somebody from an outsider. It's a good catch. Don't get me wrong. Full props for that. But I hope that's not where they're going to actually have it go on the show. Well, again, you can join in on the conversation on the Beamly app. Again, under the dome radio.com slash Beamly. We love chatting during the course of the evening. Or, of course, on Twitter, you can follow the Twitter account at UTD Radio Podcast. We want to make sure that we hear from all of you guys as Under the Dome continues with some interesting spelunking adventures and potentially more storms in the coming weeks. And if there are more storms, it might be safest down through that locker. And with it being locker 1821, you know what you get if you take 18, add the two, and then minus the one. You get 19. I didn't even pick up on that. Dun, dun, dun. Very, very clever. Mathematical reaches live on a podcast. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about when it comes to the number 19, then you'll have to read The Dark Tower. If you have read The Dark Tower, then of course, 19 should be very clearly evident in your brain for the rest of your life. And if you're getting ready to listen to or read The Dark Tower, since there's so many books in it, you know, set aside about 145 hours of your life. But it's worth it. 4,400 pages if you include book number eight, which is really book four and a half. Anyway, who would you like to award the honorary Under the Dome Radio DJ of the week for the uh, best and uh, most interesting feedback, listener theory, uh, however you want to slice it? I don't know if anything was super interesting this week, but that's not the fault of the callers or the listeners because the episode itself wasn't too you know, stellar in the terms of theorizing content. I think we'll give it out to our good buddy, Neil from Bowie, because he's just been very consistent calling in and being part of the show. He's almost like a co-producer at this point, if you will. So Neil, we're going to give you the honorary under the dome radio DJ of the week this week. And of course we'll have that up on the website at the show note page under the dome radio.com slash 33, where you can then get in touch with Neil via Twitter and have conversations with him about under the locker. I mean, under the dome. <laughs> and it's absolutely well-deserved, if nothing else, for reminding us about the Hounds of Diana website. I, you know, the, it kind of came and went. It was so prominent in those first two episodes. And so thank you, Neil. We will have to keep our eyes peeled. And remember, if you want to become the honorary Under the Dome Radio DJ of the week, send in an awesome theory or observation. Remember, this is a fan reaction episode. So this only makes sense and works if you guys send in your thoughts so we can chat about them with everybody. Again, you can submit those to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. There's a contact form there, or you can hit us on Twitter, UTD Radio Podcast, or of course, send in an MP3 or an email to feedback at underthedomeradio.com. And of course, operators are standing by outside of Chester's Mill in this spelunking activity area at 904 469-7469. Let's move on into the investigative reporting section this week, where we might talk about things that tie into the book and spoilers that are coming up. So this is the part where if you can tune out if you want to, or continue listening because it may not be all that spoilery since most of us watch the previews anyway. But the thing I wanted to point out this week is that I can't believe we're going to have another storm next week. In this case, it's going to be a sandstorm. So again, I go back to the, Where's the wind coming from? Well, Big Jim is full of hot air. <laughs> That's all I can think of. I'm, 
I mean, they're in a dome. Um, a, a dome has magical, mystical, magnetic powers. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. Maybe they'll explain it in the episode. If you just go by the teaser trailer, who knows what you're going to think. But let's see what that maybe it comes up through the tunnel and through the locker from the outside world that's outside the dome. Ooh, like an underground sand tremor, if yeah, you will, like yeah, a giant yeah, yeah, worm yeah. or something. Maybe he's blowing it out of his mouth. Oh, remember that movie Tremors, but that's not what we're here to talk about. And then I also happen to notice that in the casting information that we finally get to see an old friend coming up in the episode. One, a.k.a. Benny Drake is going to be back on our small screens. Thank goodness, because I'm not the only one who's been asking, where is Joe's best bro, man? They've been hanging out side by side through this whole thing. And I'm sure that just because there's a couple of new girls in town, that's not going to keep Ben away from Joe. In fact, you would think he would be there even more, but uh, it's just so good. We're going to see uh, John Elvis back playing Ben and uh, it's about time. Well, and this confirms that I think that he's probably not going to be the digital character that they were talking about running the hounds of Diana website, because I didn't think the digital character was going to show up until about episode eight. So if he's in next week's episode, that'll be episode six. We'll have to see how prominent a role Ben plays here under the locker. I mean, under the dome. (laughs) And we all remember one of the first digital characters ever on television. Back in the 80s, Mr. Max Hedrum. I don't have anything else that ties into the book, really, other than the fact that this was a kind of a reverse, if you will. Right. We had the riot in the book for the, the food pantry, the food store. So this was almost kind of the reverse where instead of people rioting to get food, now we're actually having people help get food, but then still have a catastrophic catastrophic event happen instead of someone getting shot and a rock thrown at them. You know, we instead got, you know, a fire and an explosion. Yeah. There, there's really not much that ties into the Stephen King novel under the dome in particular this week, you know, just a lot of craziness is happening some people are losing their minds and shooting people. Um, you know, there's nothing in the book about an underground tunnel. <laughs> so I wanted to go back to the obelisk and in the 2001 Space Odyssey comment that you made. Okay, do it. Okay, so in 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, this giant black slab is kind of the prominent object from the beginning of the show to the end of the show or the end of the movie. And what if the obelisk is kind of that same thing where it's like a central nexus, a point that kind of draws people into something greater than what they are. So I don't know if that has something to do with this as, you know, maybe it's like a a heaven point or something or an intellect or a species onto its own just contained inside this obelisk. I don't know. What are your thoughts? How do you think it might tie into 2001? I only was tying it in because it is kind of a dark tower of sorts and they called it an obelisk. So I thought uh, that was just the most likely place to uh, take that phrase in. And, you know, if you haven't seen 2001 A Space Odyssey yet, it's a great movie. But if you saw the first Star Trek movie and thought that was slow moving, you just wait. Yes, it is a very slow moving movie. (laughs) Um, We had much longer attention spans back in the day. I was uh, but a mere child, I think, in kindergarten. But uh, anyway, someone needs to do that YouTube video on uh, 2001, a space odyssey in three minutes or less. (laughs) (laughs) I think it could be done. 
All right, well, let's go ahead and move into the request and dedication section. And we got a new iTunes review this week, all the way from down under in Australia. Ronsley wrote in and said that if you're an Under the Dome fan, this is a great show with great audio. Thanks so much, Ronsley, for sending that in. If you too want to get your review read here on the show, because we like saying thanks for all the help that you do, just head on over to underthedomeradio.com slash iTunes. And of course, leave a five-star review and a rating because it really helps out the show. Absolutely. I thank everybody in advance for that. It really, really does help the show and makes us more visible for other people. In fact, if you happen to be listening to the podcast on an iOS device in the official podcast app, you can even leave your iTunes review right there through the iOS podcast app and not even have to go to a computer. And of course, it's still summer, so an Under the Dome radio logo t-shirt is always a great way to enjoy a nice Under the Dome radio cup of coffee in the morning. So head on over to underthedomeradio.com slash goods and pick up your Under the Dome radio merchandise today. Great idea. And also another great reminder is to let you know that this show is made possible in part by those of you with your secret propane deliveries to our station to help keep things running at underthedomeradio.com. Just go to the site and check it out. It's kind of fun. On the right-hand sidebar, you can select which size of propane you would like to uh, donate to us and have shipped to us. There's the uh, small size like you would maybe see on a barbecue in your backyard. That'll power us for a day or so. There's also medium and super Jim Rennie-sized propane things. that will just keep Under the Dome Radio going for days and days and weeks on end. But of course, the best thing about this show is that we love connecting with the community. So make sure you head on over to underthedomeradio.com and make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter, on Facebook, Google Plus, subscribe in your listening area of choice, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. You can find us pretty much anywhere on the interwebs and we want to talk to you. So again, send in your thoughts, your theories to the feedback hotline at 904 469 7469 here in the States, or of course, if you're out of the country, record an MP3 and go ahead and email it to feedback at under the dome radio.com. Now for the phone number, did you say 904-469-7469? That's correct. 904-469-7469. We want to hear from you and make sure you get your stuff in right away on Monday nights as soon as the episode ends, because it'll be great to hear it early in the week. So that gives us more time to think about a crazy way to respond. Absolutely. Because the dome is making us crazy. Dome makes you crazy. Dome makes you crazy. Oh, a new song. We'll work on that later. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to Under the Dome Radio. Please share your thoughts and theories for the next episode. Like Troy said, underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details. Until that next episode of Under the Dome Radio, I'm Wayne Henderson. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, anxiously awaiting my haircut as I wait for Lyle to return as we stay trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life, laugh with our clean comedy, theorize over great television shows, and so much more, all waiting for you at noodle.mx.